The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Thank you online listeners for joining us today. Those of you who have been following our series, you know that we have been doing a full-on series for a very long time. In fact, we're on 114 in our Identity for Eternity series. A subcategory we've been working on is True Grace. We have covered everything from false grace to those who have been marked for condemnation to bring in a false grace into the church. There are many messages available under the subcategory of True Grace. Under True Grace, we have another subcategory, and it's called Going Epic, the Believer Going Epic. And this is number five of the Believer Going Epic, so if you want to hear the others, I would definitely back up on that podcast and check them out. So when we talk about the Believer Going Epic, we got to start tonight with this decision point in our belief system, is what is the most epic thing about Jesus? What is the, the most epic thing he's done? What is that thing in your mind? Conquered sin and conquered death. Fully God and fully man. Now that's a mystery. Okay. Restored the relationship between God and man. But when you try to take Jesus and fit him into the clothing and the culture is when we get in trouble. I will say that again, listeners. When you take Jesus and take him off his throne and put him into the culture or clothing or jewelry, we have a problem. We are to step into his world, his reality, not the other way around. So we're going to talk today about the most epic thing that Jesus did, is all about, and continues to do. But first I'd like to know what your answer is to what's the most epic thing that Satan has done, or what he's about, or what he has accomplished, or will accomplish. Now we just did Passover, and we talked about the four cups Does anyone remember what those four cups were called? Malami, you probably have them down. Redemption. Huh? Fulfillment, which is the communion cup. Deliverance and sacrifice. But then I had another cup. What was that cup? The wrath of God. 
Satan's most epic act since Adam and Eve is to get the entire world to forget about the fifth cup. What's inside that fifth cup? Is it going to be wine? Blood. Someone read for us Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 16. Podcast listeners, if you look in front of you, whether you're on your smartphone or you're on your laptop, you'll see the scriptures actually labeled right there in the podcast. If you click on that, these scriptures will open up for you if you do not have your Bible with you. Now, in and around all those scriptures, we have this issue called blood. And each one of those cups, including the fifth cup, it talks about wine. There's the precious story of Jesus turning water into wine. The living water going from there to a sacrifice cup. The wine is symbolic of blood. In and around, everything that's being said in this passage has to do with blood. Without blood, there is absolutely no life form. The scriptures would be 100% impotent without blood. You see, Satan knows that this fifth cup is the blood of the rebels. Yes, rebel listeners, if I have some out there listening, it's your blood you will be drinking. It is the blood of those who refused to receive the living life of Jesus Christ and called Jesus truly the Son of God and to repent of trying to steal his job. Whether you want to call it Godship or just the sinner's state and condition, it's all about blood. So we're going to be taking the next several weeks and we're going to be talking about what the scriptures have to say about blood. But before we do, I put together this little video of what human blood is and what it is supposed to accomplish. And that's a slight parallel with the blood of Jesus Christ.
Okay, so there is nothing that we cannot associate with the issue of the heart. Even early on in evangelism, it was, have you asked Jesus into your heart? You've heard messages on the heart of Jesus Christ, the heart of the matter. There is terminology that is used in every language about the heart. That heart is symbolic of the very life of Jesus. Something happened in church history that we have to put the emphasis on Jesus comes and joins us. You see, we're baptized into his identity, into his life, into his his death, into everything that has anything and everything to do with the issue of blood. How can we understand the principles of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus if we don't understand that we were poured into the life of Christ? Then Christ is hidden in God. Before you can understand those profound, life-transforming principles, you have to understand, really, what the blood of Jesus was for. And why was there so many, many, many illustrations all the way back to Adam and Eve that had to do with blood? This fifth cup over here was not something that surprised Satan when John wrote about it. He is known. He is known from his beginning that it's all about the blood. The blood and the first cup. What was the first cup? Huh? Sacrifice. So that's where we're going to start. But before we do, let's do a review on what blood does for the humans. Number one, it provides life to all parts of the body, does it not? Provides DNA. Our identity, and it's amazing what they can tell you about you through your DNA and about your grandma and your grandpa and and uh, scrape a few pieces off of a dinosaur in, in Wyoming, which they did a couple of years ago. This dinosaur was so fresh they were able to get DNA off of it. But did that hit the news? Well, it's on the news on the internet. But do you hear about that? Absolutely not. Why? Because they're protecting the deception of this timeline that goes with evolution. That's how the enemy does it. But the truth of the matter is that their DNA discloses truth. Because it discloses identity. 
It carries waste and filth to the filters in our bodies. And, and, and the filters hang on to that toxin poison. You really got to ask yourself the question. What do, what does our, our filters do with this toxic poison? So science kind of figured that out, so that we got to get people to eat things that don't have poison in it. And then that became a movement. Because the body is required by God's design to hang on to the toxins. They say once mold is in your body, it is forever in your body. You'll never get rid of it. And that's the way it is with a lot of diseases. Everyone in this room has cancer. Is that not true, Dr. Tina? But see, they won't tell you you have cancer till it hits 4.1. See, our bodies are dying daily. It does have to do with blood. What's going on in the flow of our blood is pretty important. It provides healing to our body. And so there are scientific medical things that they use to cleanse and and be a filter for our blood, and they put it back into our bodies, and hopefully, you know, we'll sustain ourselves better, whatever, because they understand this principle. Because the organs that are ordained by God to hang on to the toxins, and it's only commissioned to hang on to it so long, and then the organs kill you. Including the heart. It cleans our wounds. So when you get a cut, and and uh, I was joking with, she she had no clue what I was talking about, but I was joking with this gal at, I was trying to sell this, this skin cleaner at uh, one of the superstores in Wichita, and I said, I use sandpaper. And she ignored me at first, and then the second time I said, because she was trying to get Jane to buy this product, and I said, I use sandpaper. And then finally, the third time, I said, well, I use, I use sandpaper, you know, and let the body do the rest. You see, that is a biblical principle, is to buffet, to sand off. God uses the world, the flesh, and the devil to sand off these wounds so that fresh, living, healing can take place. It is a biblical principle. So you don't want to cover up a wound that has got bacteria in it and whatever because you're giving it permission to multiply. Now with Jesus, it's no different. He provides life to the body of Christ. His blood provides life to the body of Christ. He provides a new identity to his bride, new DNA. He carries waste and filth from the the bride's flesh and takes it to the filter. What's the filter? The Holy Spirit. Provides healing to the body of Christ, sometimes literally. Someone who's supposed to die of one thing, God just decides, no, not now. And touches them. 
Because there's power in the blood of Jesus. There's healing in the blood of Jesus. We are healed by his stripes. There is so much being said about the power of the blood. It cleans our wounds physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The blood of Christ has always been an important reality to indwell Christian people down through the centuries who truly believed in biblical belief. The inspired scriptures contain numerous references to significance, the significance of the blood of Jesus. But as with any object of belief, there are those who take this object one or two ways. They either put an overemphasis on it, or they put not enough of an emphasis on it. So, for example, the Catholic Church, which way did they go? Yeah, I mean, the priest actually believes that as he picks, he pours the wine, and he picks up that cup, and he puts it into his mouth, it enters over the tongue as wine to keep the story alive of what Jesus did with wine. And as it is going down his throat, it turns to blood. That's why he can't taste it. That's how they justify it. Same thing with the, the bread. The bread of life. The purpose of the epic series that we're taking you through is to expose some of the improper teachings of the blood of Christ and to look carefully at what the scriptures legally or legitimately say about the blood of Jesus. Here's our Hebrew. Pretty simple. Not too complicated today. Blood in Hebrew is delet and mem, which means pathway to enter or washing liquid or water or strong water. When we bring that down into English, we have to enter the washing. It's very simple. You see, it's not about you putting Jesus in your heart. It's about you entering into the washing. Whether we just do mem of living water or we do blood of the cleansing blood of Jesus, we're adopted into his DNA. We're brought into his life. But since there's no sin in Jesus' mortal body, there was no sin in his blood either. If, if we could take the sin out of your DNA, out of your body, your blood would have the power to heal others. That's the difference. There was no sin in Jesus' mortal body because blood comes out of seed. So his blood was power, pure power. That's why my favorite scene of Mary kissing the feet of Jesus and having his blood wash over her face and she cares not about the blood and gore. She is completely caught up in her love for her son and his blood is cleansing to me. 
If anyone would have got Jesus' blood on them, I personally believe something would have happened to them. But we don't hear those stories, nor are they as important as the story about the blood of Jesus. The unbiblical conceptions of the blood of Christ either go with one of these two directions that I just uh, mentioned to you. But obviously there are those who have weakened the importance of the blood of Jesus. Indwell Christianity has been mocked by some as a slaughterhouse religion. And anyone who does that type of persecuting Christ through their verbiage, through their assumptions. You see, I some people do not understand why I don't do debates anymore. I mean, I used to be invited into the University of Arizona to do debates, which I thought was ridiculous. I am not that kind of a thinker, but they loved the way that I talked, and they would put me in these, these debate classes as a Christian, and just turn all these students loose, and I actually had a blast. But I don't do that anymore, because I don't believe in debates. When you have to go to scriptures and use God's words to try to convert others to God's words, it's fruitless. I'm not going to use the scriptures to combat Jesus. But I will use scriptures to see what kind of reaction I can get when they're pushed. And if they make a little switch over to bizarre, to spiritually being illogical, and it's opposing the mind of Christ, I stop. I'm done. If you take it farther, you're going into debate. Debate means baiting one to catch them. So when people are debating each other, you're really setting them up to fail. So you could say, see, your theory doesn't work. And that's what these people have done in regard to the blood of Jesus Christ. Or even in the Old Testament, the blood of the sacrifice of a flawless lamb. True indwelt Christians are not only not offended by the talk of the blood of Jesus, but by the mere mentioning of the blood of Jesus, it does something to them. I have seen people get emotional and break down as they're trying to explain what the power of the blood of Jesus did in their life. They're not great theologians. Just the talk of the blood of Jesus breaks people down. One of the things I was trained to do in doing demonic deliverances is to get the person to answer five questions. And the way that you would do that is to have them repeat the words back to you. One of them was, I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. Because demoniacs cannot say that. 
It'll actually throw them into convulsions. Why? <laughs> what's, what's so big about just saying that? Oh, it's a huge deal to the demonic world, and we're going to talk about that in our series. There have been so-called scholars who have, who have tried to convince us that concepts of blood in the scripture are, are carryovers from an actual satanic religion. Wow. Okay. We'll see how that turns out in our study. So where and when did the war on the blood begin? Any guesstimates? Of course, you guys are looking at your notes. Cain and Abel, authentic sacrifice, payment for sin. A lot of people make that about grain versus, you know, living animal sacrifice. That was not what it was about. You see, it was over blood. That first cup was set up for us way back then. And that cup, God was making a point to be so immovable. And Satan already knew this. He was already roaming about seeing which one of them he could conquer. He was starting right from the beginning. And so he used this frail, weak, sin-filled body called Cain, and he began his process of the war of the bloods. This is when the war was declared by Satan. And sure enough, blood for blood, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Cain made it about some kind of emergent issue, when in reality the issue was that Satan was going to make his point of declaring war on the bloods. And so the authentic sacrifice that was required was for Abel to bring this little lamb for the sacrifice. And whatever was going on in Cain's mind is between God and Cain. But this I know, the final result was blood. Okay? If you're going to require one single kind of blood sacrifice, take this. And he began to use the blood of man for his communion cup. Satan attempts to remove all the association of the blood of the Lamb of God, thinking he is removing Jesus. He's not stupid. Well, maybe he is. But he's certainly not dumb. You see, there's a good chance that he understood that something was happening here. He was setting up for the final fulfilled cup. And there's a good chance that he knew about this fifth cup. You do your own survey this week and ask Christians what the fifth cup is. 
I'd be interested in finding out your response. Because I don't think you're going to get a 1% that understand what the fifth cup is. Most can't even define to you four cups. They just think one cup. One communion cup. That's, that's basically what they'll be able to explain to you. When the entire Bible is laid out one cup at a time until you get to the book of Revelation, the fifth cup. The entire gospel from Adam and Eve to the last hour in the book of Revelation is about these five cups. Blood. Cain descendants develop a bloodthirsty society. I cannot even imagine how corrupt, how blood-filled society that those 900 years were from Adam to Noah. I can't even imagine. And if it was important for us to know, God probably would have gave us a few more details about the dinosaurs and really how they came. Anything God completely destroys is a good sign he wasn't thrilled with the results of how they turned out. And for God to destroy all that, but one simple cup probably is a significant statement to make on his part. Murder became the replacement desolation of, 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 to replace the sacrifice of the lamb. Everything's about murder. I don't know if you have noticed it or not, but the closer we get to the final hours and the end times, everything's about murder. Billions of dollars are made every year in this country off of slaughter films. What's this new latest hero, superhero they have on the screens? Do you remember his name, Jane? Huh? Deadpool? And what does he do for a hobby? He cuts up people, cuts their arms off? I counseled a guy that cut people's arms off and beat him to death with it. Ted Bundy. And after he got saved, had a confession of the demonic stuff he saw. Well, we have tendency to make everything about humans. When in reality, there's a spiritual blood of wars, war of blood that is going on. Satan develops a world fascinated with blood and murder. Satan forms religions that use blood as a payment for those who claim Christ's blood as the one and only final sacrifice for mankind. Our story of our gal that's in prison over in Pakistan. That's what that's about. Their, their, part of their religious doctrines is to end life, to let out blood, to take the head off, to let the blood out. The beheading concept is from taking the head of the lamb off. That's where it came from. It's not some kind of weird, evil thing. So for Muslims to go around slicing off the head of Christians, they're communicating something different than you're getting off of the news. You're getting off the news, oh, what a cruel bunch of people. No, it's a sacrifice. 
It's a part of their religion to let out the blood of man as a mockery of their Jesus who sacrificed his blood that truly cleanses and redeems. Number seven, Satan develops an entire domain or world dipped in blood that he uses to mock the original blood sacrifice that God required after Adam and Eve chose to sin. There shall come a day, who said these words? There shall come a day where our children will rise up and kill their parents. That's Someone in the Bible. Bible. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus was murdered. Was he not? How many of the disciples died a martyr's death? All of them but one. The beloved John. Because he was preserved a fifth cup. Yeah, exactly. But that had to do with blood too. Suicide is about that. It's a demonic belief that has been forced upon a person to buy into this concept of you need to take your own life. You need to go through this sacrifice. Self-murder, other murder, it doesn't make any difference. Here's our identity statement. There was power in Jesus' blood because there was no sin in his body. If you and I did not have sin in our mortal bodies, blood, we too would have the power in our blood. This is why when we get to the new earth, our new bodies will be the representation of the power of Jesus. Power in blood, I know it's preaching to the choir with those of you who study your Bibles through Greek and Hebrew, but power and blood, there is no difference. There is no difference. When you speak blood, you speak power. When you speak power, you speak blood. Everything's got to do with the blood sacrifice. If you ever, you, you, I don't know if you grew up this way, but I did this several times with friends where you wanted to be friends for life. What would you do? I've heard that they cut each other's hands. And they You've never them. done it. <laughs> you and I should do it. <laughs> We're already close. Yeah. <laughs> but see, you would cut each other and then make sure you're bleeding and then the other friend would do that and then you would do the handshake thing, and your blood would mix, that is one of the most powerful statements of friendship there is. There's truth in that biblically. That is what happened when we got put into the blood of Jesus Christ. And he was put into us. Powerful statement. Jesus was birthed through the seed of his father, which gave him the identity of his father. But since there was no sin in the seed of his father, his son's blood had the same power elements of that of his father. Blood truly contains identity. I can go on and on and on of cultural things we do with blood. 
That was just a cute one that I gave you. If someone has AIDS, what's the first thing you avoid? Blood. Contact with the blood. And so forth and so on. Well, work it on the positive side. Can you imagine that there was a blood out there in the earth that if you came in contact with it, you would become cleansed of HIV or HPV or POC or whatever other diseases are out there? Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that because that's exactly what happened when people came in contact with Jesus. If he just touched them, something happened. In fact, if you went up and grabbed a hold of his garment, Jesus turned around and said, for I felt the power power drain out of me. Power and blood are the same thing. These people caught on that if we could just make contact, there will be healing. But the difference was, until Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit descended, it was a temporary healing. They still went to hell. Oh, I'm going to get some on that at 602-292-2982. Just because you experience a healing or some kind of miracle does not mean it's an eternal one. To get the eternal one, you're going to have to swap some blood. You're going to have to swap some identity. And the only way to do that is to be poured into that cup as a living sacrifice and vice versa. And then to pick that cup up and say, I dare someone to try to separate this. Separate the two bloods. Separate the two identities. Can't be done. It's permanent. Those of you who are under some kind of conviction, maybe even to pray that prayer of salvation. There's a sample prayer in your PDF. Consider reading over it, praying over it first before you pray the prayer. But the concepts and the doctrines and the statements of belief are right from the Word of God. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in everything about Jesus. And so if you want a healing that is going to take you beyond your casket, consider making this great exchange. Swap blood. Make an exchange for a power of blood that will take you into the new earth and give you a new life, a new body that will be eternally bliss, perfect. And you will be the representative of the power of your husband, as most women are supposed to be, instead of being power hungry for that position. That's the three kingdom diagram. This is absolutely exciting. Thank you for those of you who send me little messages. Some of them are kind of nasty, but I'm okay with that because I I actually get to hear the way that the fake Christians are thinking. I really do. You guys say some incredibly unbiblical things. But I'm not offended by that because you've been trained by a parental figure somewhere. Whether it's a school or whether it's your parents or whether it's a emergent church, whatever. To think like that. 
But if you release the mind of Christ in you, you're going to find something that is life-changing every time you open your mouth. So I'd love to hear from you. Whether it's in persecutive type communication or whether it's in asking just some simple questions or you're sharing your story. It's all very encouraging to me. It's what keeps me going every day in regard to doing what I love the most. Separating the goats from the sheep. That is a huge challenge to a lot of people is that do they or do they not speak of the indwelling life of Christ? This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.